Good evening. It's good to see everyone here. Hey. Hey. How's it going, Michelle? I was part of the team that lost in the earlier game this morning, so double losses is really hard for me to deal with right now. Um, Well, we are continuing on our series on Dreaming Wide Awake as we push through the book of Nehemiah. And if you haven't been here, I'll just give a quick run through what we've been doing. In the first week, we heard as a cupbearer, Nehemiah left behind a highly esteemed and highly ranking position as a cupbearer to the king to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in that week, Ryan taught us that we should pray that our heart would break for what breaks the heart of God so that we could begin a journey in dreaming wide awake. In the second week, Jay taught us the importance and the value of prayer as we looked at Nehemiah's first prayer. And some of what's been really sticking with me lately has been that prayer as a last resort reveals the fallacy of self-reliance. And that prayer must be a launching pad for vision when we're dreaming wide awake. And then last week, Ryan talked about the idea, the, the, the difficulty of taking the first step in obedience, and that sometimes we wait for God to show us the whole plan before we take the first step, when what God really wants for us is for us to realize that taking the first step in obedience is the plan, so that we could dream wide awake with him. And in the second and third chapters of Nehemiah, which we can't get into tonight, we begin to see Nehemiah begin the difficult process of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And that is a daunting task because what Nehemiah has done is that he's taken a scattered people in exile who were broken and distraught and he brought them together as a unit to begin doing something that only he saw in his heart. And I know that here at Awakening Church, as a community, our longing, our prayer would be that the scattered generation, this scattered generation in the Bay Area, would begin to come together and awaken to a new life, becoming a people of faith, of hope, and of love, so that together we could dream wide awake, so that we can have visions so large and so magnificent that when they come true, when they happen, the only thing that we can do is turn to God and glorify him because of what he has done in us and through us. And, and that's just an exciting thing to be a part of. I don't know if you've been excited for this whole series like my wife and I have, because we go home and we talk about this, but this is an exciting time for us to start thinking about our lives in a way that could transform this city. Because we need to start thinking about how to dream wide awake. And if there's one thing that is certain If there is one thing that is true about pursuing visions that God has given us, if there is one thing that is unarguable about dreaming wide awake, it is this. When you dream wide awake, opposition is inevitable. When you dream wide awake, opposition is inevitable. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Read the first three verses. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? 
Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish it in the day? Can they revive the stones from the rubble, even the burned ones? And now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their wall down. I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, what's the big deal, right? They're just being a bunch of jerks, right? If a fox jumps on your wall, it's going to crumble down. That's how good your wall is. That's true. There are a bunch of jerks, right? But don't be fooled, right? Their words of simple ridicule actually mask darker and deeper intentions. Let's look at Nehemiah 4.11. This is talking about the same people. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them kill them, and put a stop to their work. If people who pursue ambitious earthly goals are met with tenacious adversity, how much more will people who pursue impossible heavenly goals be met with opposition that is malevolent and destructive? Right? When we are dreaming wide awake, we are praying that God would break our heart for what breaks his and opposition that is against that is dangerous. In fact, listen to how a first century leader warns the church about that type of opposition and its nature. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And the reality is, is that we have to be ready. We need to stop hoping that there is no opposition and start preparing for the opposition that is inevitable. Because pursuing the God-sized vision that God has given to you is not a game. Dreaming wide awake is not a game. It is not a spiritual goal-setting exercise. Dreaming wide awake is this process by which we who have been saved by grace through Jesus, by God, extend our hands to God and begin to take personal responsibility for the work that we need to participate here on earth right now where we begin to participate in the redemptive and transformative activity that God is doing now. And when we do that, opposition is inevitable. Don't be fooled. It is inevitable. So if that is true, how then do we handle it? Well, we remember in the darkness what God has shown us in the light. We remember in the darkness what God has shown us in the light. And that's the principle that I want us to walk away with and begin practicing in our own lives as we dream wide awake. Because when you are surrounded by darkness, when you begin to question yourself, when you begin to be aware of your, your own inability and inability to do what God has called you to do, and then you begin to lose focus and you begin to lose hope, the only way to get back on track and pursuing your God-sized vision is to remember in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. And so we have to prepare for that. We have to begin practicing that before it happens. And so tonight I'm hoping as we, as we go just through the fourth chapter of Nehemiah to share four practices on how to do that. 
So if you have your Bibles, let's keep going. Nehemiah 4, 4-5. The first practice is this. Develop a cadence of prayer. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. Now, Nehemiah's first reaction to opposition is an honest, angry response to God, right? There's no pretense. There's no Nehemiah cleaning himself up before he goes to God. It is just a a raw and honest request for God, for God to curse Tobiah and Sanballat. It's just that simple, right? God curse these people. Curse them. And I love that about Nehemiah. He has developed such a cadence in his life that his first natural response, even in frustration and even in anger, is to turn to God. And when you dream wide awake, this practice of coming before God becomes a critical part of your journey because it puts you in the proper posture before God. And that is on your knees, submitting to the will of God as you are moving forward. And when we fail to do this, we begin to trust more in ourselves, begin to trust God less and less. And I think some of us, some of us have trouble turning to God because we believe that we're not good enough. We believe that we have to clean ourselves up before we can turn to God and communicate with him, talk to him, share our hopes, share frustration, share our dreams with him. We think that before we can turn to God, we have to get all our spiritual ducks in a row. And if we can't do that, then we can't turn to God. And then there are some of you that believe that you can handle the opposition. And that's why you don't turn to God. You think that if you can just do enough if you can just sacrifice enough, if you can just do enough work, then you, by your own power, will be able to overcome the opposition that is frustrating your God-sized vision. And both of those mindsets are wrong. Both of them are wrong. Trying to be perfect and trying to overcome the opposition on your own actually reveals to yourself, it should reveal to you the death of your own inability to know who you are. And here's the reality. You don't know yourself as well as you think you do. You don't know the depth of your brokenness, of your pain, of your own hurt. Only God does. Only God knows how deep and how painful your soul might be. Only God knows all of that. And in spite of all of that, the beautiful thing about God is that he tells us he loves us in those moments, and he still invites us to participate in the work that he is doing on this earth. And you have to know that, and you have to believe that. Because God wants to invite you into the work that he's doing. So the first practice that we have to get down, the first practice that we must begin just pouring ourselves into is developing a cadence of prayer. The second thing is to look for opportunities and not obstacles. We have to begin looking for opportunities, not obstacles. Nehemiah 4, 12 to 13. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then 
I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. We will come face to face with opposition when when you're dreaming wide awake. And that opposition can take many forms. It can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be financial, it can be practical. We know that it is spiritual. And for Nehemiah, it was military opposition. But however opposition appears, there are two ways that you can look at it. You can look at it as an opportunity, or you can view it as an obstacle. And the way that you begin to do that will help you or not help you in remembering what God has shown you in the darkness. When we view opposition as an obstacle, we act from our earthly perspective. We begin acting out of a very limited scope of human perception, right? From this level, things look very different. And all we can concentrate on sometimes is the insurmountable task of what stands in front of us. And when we do that, we actually, I think, begin to make excuses. We give ourselves permission to start making excuses for why we don't move forward. Right? I'm not good enough. They're in another country. I don't know what's going on. I'm not like that guy. I'm not like that girl. This is just too overwhelming. But when we view opposition as obstacles, we begin selling God short. We begin thinking, there's no way that I can do this. And what we really think is that there's no way that God can do this. When the actual truth is that God can do this, we're just viewing it from a very limited perspective because we see obstacle. And that's not what Nehemiah teaches. Nehemiah actually teaches us to view things as opportunities, right? He didn't put people down there until the opposition came and said, we're going to come and kill you. He viewed it as an opportunity. And when we view opportunities, it begins to mature our heavenly perspective. We begin to see things the way that God sees them. And we begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Full of redemptive potential. Full of redemptive potential. You are full of redemptive potential. And this perspective enables us to continue to move forward, dreaming wide awake. Because then we begin to look at ways to refine our faith, refine our strategy, ways to adjust things. And then we begin trusting God in ways that we would never have trusted God before. We begin to walk with God in confidence in ways that we never would have walked with before. We begin to see in the darkest and deepest corners of the human dilemma a faintest glimmer of hope and of light. And then we begin to think, Why not now? Why not me? As we begin to explore in our hearts and our heads how we can help transform this world. That begins by looking at things as opportunities and not at obstacles. Which leads me to the third point. We have to learn to adjust our plans and not our vision. You have to learn how to adjust your plans and not your vision. I'm just going to read 4, 16, and 17 on this one. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other hand holding a weapon. Now, I feel pretty confident in saying that I doubt that part of Nehemiah's goals in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was that every builder would have like a sword and a plow, right? Because I'm I'm not like a builder, but that looks like a step backwards to me, 
right? Like you're plowing, but you have this really sharp sword that you could cut your hand off with if you're not careful. Not, not a good idea. And um, we know that Nehemiah shows us options are limited when we're faced with opposition, right? Nehemiah could have run. He could have run away. He could have stopped the work, and then he could have fought. But either one of those decisions would have kept him from accomplishing the vision that God has put onto his heart. So Nehemiah was able to adjust his plans. He wasn't afraid to adjust his plans. He was able to reallocate resources, right? He was able to change his tactics so that weapons actually became a necessity for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He adjusted his plans, not his vision. And the reason that Nehemiah was able to do that was because he recognized that plans are not sacred, Right? Plans are not sacred. Dreaming wide awake means learning that structure must submit to spirit. And this is hard for us sometimes to understand because we have this Bay Area mindset that piggybacks on this American philosophy of success that means that success equals the most amount of return with the least amount of work and the least amount of opposition. Right? And, you know, all you need is a good idea, you need everybody to like it, and then you sell it for millions of dollars. That's awesome, right? That's awesome. And that might be true for the American mindset, but it's not what the Bible teaches us. It's not what Scripture teaches us about opposition. Because when we read Scripture, it teaches us that opposition is not just a part of moving forward. It's actually necessary. When we read Scriptures, you actually begin to see that opposition is how our faith is refined, our faith is tested that we become more and more trusting in God and what he is doing. Success is not no opposition. Success is faithfulness in the midst of opposition. Obedience in light of trials. And that means that we actually have the freedom to adjust the plans that we have made, right? When Awakening was first launched, I don't think it was part of Ryan or Jay's plan to meet in that high school cafeteria, right? In fact, they were meeting in the theater across the way. But the beautiful part about what's happening now is that the plans were flexible. We can adjust the plans. We just have to keep our eyes on the vision. And so it is okay and even a beautiful thing for us to meet in the cafeteria. We trust God with the vision, and we become flexible with the plan. Plans are just tools. That doesn't mean that no plan is a good plan or that all plans are bad. It just simply means that we have to learn to adapt. It's called commander's intent. It's when a commander gives orders to a unit with an intention and then plans can be adjusted when the enemy responds. And what we have to realize is that our enemy, the devil, and his schemes respond. He's actively trying to oppose the work that God has put onto your heart to do. And that is a serious thing. We have to recognize that we are in a battle against spiritual forces and that when opposition tries to stop us from moving forward, we have to make our plans be adjustable. We trust the spirit. We don't trust structure. We have faith in our designer, not in our designs. In order to do that, we have to hold the vision with a closed fist and the plans with an open palm because we know that opposition is inevitable. So we can learn to adjust the plans, not the vision. 
brings me to the fourth practice. Remember who, and then remember why. Nehemiah 4.14 says, When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I remember um, a few years back going to New Zealand with Allison. And um, we went cave diving while we were in New Zealand. I remember getting in a van and we drove down this road out into the country. We pulled off and there was like a dip in the ground. And in the bottom of the, the ground there was like a hole. Right? And what I didn't know was that the hole opened up to like 300 foot deep cavern and we had to rappel down it. And the only way to get through this hole was to push yourself through and then you free fall for a few feet and you get caught and you just keep going the rest of the way. <laughs> right? And so the point of going into this cavern to go cave diving was to float down a black river. They called it a black river because it was so dark there's no light that you couldn't see anything that was in the water, right? including the three to four foot eels that were as thick as bread loaves. It's pretty romantic, right? <laughs> so that was Allison's date option while we were in New Zealand. I wanted like, to go get some good Indian food, and she's like, let's go cave diving. Okay. So when we got to the bottom, I remember ziplining to another section of the cave, like a few hundred more feet, like squirreling. You know that, I don't know what they call it, like squirrel thing? In the dark. And we got to a place where we had to turn our lamps off so our eyes could get adjusted to the dark before we kept going. So I wear glasses, right? And it's dark, and we're wearing all this gear, and I start freaking out. I start hyperventilating. And I start thinking, like, this is it. I'm going to die. The cave is going to come down. I'm going to drown in the water, and these eels are going to eat me. <laughs> Game over. What am, I was like, what am I doing here? I was freaking out. And that's when I turned and looked at Allison. And she had this smile on her face like a kid on Christmas. Like, yeah. And that's when I remembered this was about her and not about me. I was joining her on her journey of discovery. I was spending time with her. I hate the dark. Right? I hate water. I hate the ocean. Right? That's like out in the sun. Why, why was I there? What was I doing? I was there because I had a shallow love for my wife that I desperately wanted to deepen. I was there for her. And sometimes when we're dreaming wide awake and we face opposition, it's easy to forget why we're doing what we're doing. Sometimes we need that reminder. Sometimes we need to just remember, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And that the reason we are dreaming wide awake is because we love him and he loves us. There's a beautiful truth about that. When we remember this, when we remember the love that we have for God, the burden and the pressure to perform to some misguided standard gets lost in God's overwhelming grace. We're doing it for him. We're doing it because we love him. It brings me to the last point. Never lose hope. Never lose hope. 
Romans 5, 1 through 5 says this. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulation, in our trials, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we are faced with opposition, we may begin to realize that we might not see the fruit of our labor. We might not see the complete annihilation of sex trafficking, of of slavery, of broken families, of hatred, or, or of any of that stuff while we're on earth. We may never see the young children who have been abandoned by their families given to people who will love them and take care of them unconditionally. We may never see the faces of those people who would have perished without hope if we hadn't participated together to bring them food, water, and the word of God. It is possible that as you're dreaming wide awake and pursuing your vision, you might not see the fruit of your labor, and that can be demoralizing. It can. But the truth is, We don't pursue God-sized visions for our life because we have hope that we're going to see it be completed in our life. That we're going to get credit for the work that we did while we're on earth. That is not why we pursue dreams that God has given to us. We pursue these dreams. We dream wide awake. We have these God-sized visions for our life because we want to glorify God because we know that God will be glorified by doing this work as we move forward. And this whole pursuit is a response to the love of God that he has for us and our love for him. That is why we pursue these visions. That is why it is so important to never lose hope because when you do and you're faced with opposition as you're dreaming wide awake, what you've begun to realize is that you're actually putting hope in the vision and not in the God who has given you the vision. Never lose hope. Because when you dream wide awake, opposition is inevitable. Right? Nehemiah was building a city, not so that he could have another comfortable place to stay, not so that he could have another great job as a cupbearer to the king, Historically, Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem because he had heard about this king, this promised king who would restore justice and peace in the land. He was rebuilding the city because he had heard about a king whose kingdom would bless every single nation under the skies, under the heavens, across the earth. Nehemiah was not even sure that he was going to get to see the king. But he built the city hoping and knowing that the king would come. And we know now that the story was about our king, Jesus. We know now that that's what was happening. And so it comes as no surprise to me that we are in a very, very similar situation today. Right? We have heard about a king who was and is going to return. And we have heard that this king transforms lives because we've experienced it. We know that this king has changed the trajectory of the entire human history so that people could have hope and eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. We have heard about this king who we may never see while we're on earth. But we live in a city that is broken. 
We live in a city that's calling out to be redeemed. We live in a city that is waiting for its king. And so I would just ask you, consider, consider now, consider today, how you can begin to participate in what God is doing in this city. Dreaming Wide Awake is not just some random series we're going through because we think it's a good idea, guys. Dreaming Wide Awake is us trying to help empower you to look at yourselves and to look at your life the way that God does. Knowing that you have this redemptive potential in your workplaces, in your community, maybe even in your own home where people are far from God. And when you begin dreaming wide awake, what happens is that you don't just move into the future, but you begin to affect the people around you so that they can participate in the same movement. Right? Allison and I, our dream is that we would be able to just pour fully into this. And so a few weeks ago, I said, okay, I can't work two jobs anymore. I'm just going to quit this job and focus on this job. And we just began sharing the story with some of our friends and family. And we know this woman and she has no money, she has no job, she has no place to live, she has nobody, and, and, and we know that she's going to be alone for the rest of her life. And we began telling her about her vision and her dream. And, and, we, and because she's related to Alice, and we know everything about her life, when she heard about what we were doing, when she heard about what Awakening Church was trying to do, she handed us $10. I can't tell you how powerful that is because to some of us, $10 is like a week at Starbucks. $10 is nothing, it's pocket change. But to this woman who I love and respect so much, it was an opportunity to participate in what God was doing in a way that was beyond her reach, in a way that she was not capable of doing. So you have to remember, you have to understand and realize that dreaming wide awake isn't about you. It is about God. And it is about becoming beacons of light in the darkness so that when people see us, they see Jesus who can transform them, who can save them, who can give them hope, who can give them love. Because that's not what we can do. We can't do any of that. Jesus can do that. So we're called by faith, like Nehemiah, to take a step forward and begin to redemptively build up the city, aware of and in spite of any opposition that we will face. Because when we remember what God has shown us in the light, I believe that nothing, absolutely nothing, can keep us from rebuilding the city together to the glory of God as we wait for our king to come back. So let's remember together, guys. And let's rebuild together. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done in our lives. I pray, God, that we would begin dreaming wide awake, that we would begin to seek out a vision for our heart, for our lives, that breaks our heart for it breaks your heart. I pray that we would realize it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with you. Glorifying you, bringing you honor, bringing you fame, bringing you attention so that people around us would see the light that dwells within us 
and in their darkness begin to have hope for a future with you. We thank you so much. It's in your sins and we pray. Amen.